everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm Frank Forza. I'm here with my buddy Noah Green, and Aaron Simpson is our guest today. And I'm happy to have Aaron on because Aaron and I go back. I don't know how well you remember me, Aaron. We go back like 11, 12 years or so um, yep. to the old, uh, you know, UFC, WEC days. And uh, a lot of people, you know, if Aaron's on Arizona, you're in Scottsdale, right? Right, uh, Aaron? Tempe, Tempe, Arizona. Okay, so you're so down there in Arizona. Online, you might not be, um, and and but I think you're a guy. As I was telling Noah, um, we're gonna have some heavy hitters on the show, but I, I consider you a heavy hitter because I know you're a very high functioning guy, high performance guy. I I I thought this like 12 or 13 years ago when I was interviewing you when I worked for UFC. I thought, I mean, I remember writing the story about you, and it was like you were you were really one of those guys that had like a Midas touch. It's like everything Aaron Simpson does, he does really well. Everything you set your mind to. Um, and so that's why I wanted to have you on, because we focus a lot here, not just on the martial arts, but the martial arts for life and the mind jitsu of getting, you know, the mental side of things, the attitude side of things. You're a certified high performer let me let me tell people a little bit about you aaron for people that that who maybe are like should i watch this who is this guy aaron simpson never heard of him should i continue watching if i remember correctly correct me when i'm done straight a student in high school but i think you were a straight a student um yeah academic yeah. academic all-american in arizona state so you're academic all-american i believe yeah yeah 142 wins one loss in high school wrestling, four state titles. I'm very jealous when I see that, when I say that, I am genuinely jealous. I finished third in the state of Maryland in wrestling. I won 34 matches my senior year. I'm jealous of a guy that has 142-1 and four state titles. I think you were like all state and track and field or something like that, if I remember correctly. Correct me. Then you're a UFC fighter who had a, a, a pretty good career, fought a little bit later in your career. You're a two-time All-American in Arizona State University. I, I don't know, but my guess is that you're killing it in that, – that Aaron is killing it in real estate there in Arizona. We're going to find out. We just lost him, which is fine. We'll get him back. But, but Noah, this is why I wanted to have – there he's here. Aaron's back. This is why I wanted to have Aaron on because there are a lot of people who just look and say, oh, if you're a UFC champion, if you're number one in the world, then I want to hear what you have to say. But if you're whatever else, I don't, I don't, I can't learn anything. No, no, this is a brain. This dude is a brain worth picking. Um, so, you know, I, I want to have him on. I want him to talk up, talk us through his habits his mindset, his motivation, his attitude, how he zeroed in on, you know, his identity. Like this guy had a very firm identity. He doesn't, he doesn't sit there. He has a strong sense of purpose, a strong sense of meaning. And, and, uh, and I just was very impressed by him 12 years ago. Welcome back, Aaron. So Aaron, yeah, I gave you, I gave you the hero introduction. You deserve it. And uh, now what I want to find out, because 
part of this is to pick your brain and find out how that high performer, that super high performer thinks and your habits and your sense of purpose and your why. We want to go into that. But I also, I haven't really had much correspondence with you in recent years. So first and foremost, this is kind of like, where are they now? What in the hell are you up to? What are you doing these days? What are you focused on? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me on first, Frank. Yeah, it has been many years. And, you know, I, I see your stuff on Facebook and watched your TED Talk the other day, which was pretty cool. Um, I am still living in Tempe, Arizona. My, I have twin uh, 12-year-olds now, boy and girl. Um, had them back in 2008. It's amazing how fast it's gone by. Really, like, I think about, like, my MMA days and, that, like, it's just a, a blink and it was over. Um, and it was hard for me to, to, to not compete anymore in that. Like, that was my last time of really competing was was uh, fighting in the UFC and it was like, man, what, what do I do next? And then, you know, I got into, we had, we had our gym and I was with Ryan Bader and CB Dalloway and we, uh, we, they were still training. I was still coaching them. And then, you know, it's just, it's just hard. Um, the MMA world, running a gym and trying to make money at it and trying to provide for your family and traveling and all that, missing, missing time with your kids. And so I ended up in 2016 to get my real estate license and, uh, and, and getting out of that, um, a lot of it was because, of, uh, you know, I got a real estate license because uh, if, if you know the name Randall Alleman, Randall's out of Vegas there. I, I, I know Randall. I coach I Randall at ASU, um, and then we always stay connected through the MMA. He was kind of one of our managers for uh, for fighting, like one of our agents slash managers. And and he was like, man, you keep your license, your uh, real estate license. So I went ahead and got it, and I've been in, the, I guess, the residential real estate market for Geez, five years now, which has just flown by as well. Now let me guess. Let me guess. In true in true Aaron Simpson style, you hit the ground running and you're doing very well. I I did and I am and you know I um, I attribute that to me kind of getting lucky. Uh, well, I'm not lucky. I guess things just happen along the way if you if you continue to to move in a positive direction. But you know I've I've, I've lived in Tempe, Arizona since 1993. Um, I've known a lot of people because of owning a gym and coaching at Arizona State University and, you know, just kind of what I did, I, I guess, fighting in the UFC and in the wrestling world. So I was able to, you know, it, it's all about kind of building your 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 core sphere of influence, they want to say, and and, uh, and and helping people buy and sell homes. And so I was able to do that. And I, and I was the type that, like, I was kind of embarrassed to say I was a realtor at the time. You know, it's like you make this huge shift in the way and the way your your life is lived now people see you and now like oh you're a realtor like it might as well have been like a used car salesman or something in my eyes and so it took me a little time to really like put it out there that that's what i did yeah i'm no longer you know in the fight world or um that and, and i still like from time to time like i'd go out and help ben henderson and stuff and those guys the lab and and i'd help guys out but i really like took a major step back from being around that you know that was my everyday life and uh but but it was a, it was really a nice change for me like not having to worry about a fighter winning or losing or paying you if you won or lost um was was a nice change like if i sell a home i'm definitely guaranteed that money once the home closes so that's a nice uh a nice change in the way things are going and, and as well like I got back into coaching wrestling. I've been coaching wrestling at 
Arcadia High School here in uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, a, a buddy of mine, his son wrestles for the team, and he kind of coerced me into coaching. So this is my third year of coaching uh, high school wrestling again, which has been nice, man. It's like uh, I've had to rethink coaching again. Like you have to be really patient because I'm getting kids that have not never seen a wrestling mat before, and and I'm pretty good with with patience and that and, and really teaching things like i enjoy you know teaching a newbie how to you know walk in a wrestling stance so that 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 part of it's kind of exciting we had a duel last night down in castle grand arizona and i had kids it was their first time ever putting a singlet on um having to walk out of the mat um and compete and and it was you know you, you get you get um there's some cool rewards you get out of that that, that just seeing like that that first victory or talking them through their first defeat and how upset they can be because they don't they didn't even know what to expect and now they're getting they're on their back getting pinned in front of a bunch of people so I imagine Aaron that part of the beauty of being a four-time state champion of being a two-time all-american wrestler of being a UFC fighter, of being a you know, all-state track and field, all these things. I imagine that when you talk, everybody listens. It's like this guy probably knows. You, you probably get, you know, some coaches might even be good, but when they don't have the credentials sometimes, you know, the athletes be one ear out the other. I imagine that when you talk, it's like, you know, people just stop and and uh, and and and, and li- like e- what, what's the old saying? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. I don't know if you remember that. When e, you remember that, you remember that slogan, though. When when EF Hutton, he just left. But anyway, I, I was oh, thinking yeah. that I, I've coached, I've coached recreation wrestlers, I've coached high school athletes, I've coached, you know, jujitsu athletes, I've coached, you know, sixty year olds, and uh, there, Aaron's back with us. Um, <clears throat> the wonders of technology here. Yeah, well, it's pretty cool that we can uh, just jump in together. Like yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Aaron, hey, welcome back. So now I think you're settled now. But what I was yeah, saying, Aaron, is I I imagine that all of that history of achievement comes in handy when you're coaching an athlete and getting them to buy in. Um, yeah. To what you're saying. Yeah, and I don't necessarily. Um, start out like meeting these kids and going, this is my resume and this is what I've done in my past. And, and, you know, I think some of the kids may say like, or they'll show them, you know, a video of me or whatever, um, competing before, but it's never that, but I, but I, you know, it, it, it's learned quickly, I guess, once, once, once we get to work and they start seeing that what I'm saying is real. And I, I've got to now. Christian Pagdalao, who was an All-American at Arizona State University, who's a freaking stud in his own right. And so we've got two guys that are highly knowledgeable, and, and it gets known really fast that, you know, it's it's not time to mess around. Yeah, I wish I wish I had a um, an, an All-American, D1 All-American wrestler, two-time All-American, teaching me high school wrestling. Like, that would have been, that would have been a big, uh, big plus. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. I, I look I look at these kids these days, especially here in the Phoenix area. Like we've got some great wrestling clubs and and the amount of knowledge that is that is in, in the valley here. Um 
and kids are getting so much better. Like they're, they, they're, they're coming out, you know, at junior high and they're like high level wrestlers because they're getting coached correctly. You know, they're getting trained correctly. They're finding out about nutrition and everything. And we got a kid, uh, a buddy of mine, Eric Larkin, who started a high school down here for wrestling. It's a private high school. And um, they just won this this national, uh, Tulsa Nationals out in Oklahoma this past weekend. The 15 youth, they had like eight kids placed in the top five in nationals. That's amazing. What did, what did you learn on a wrestling mat? fighting in the octagon uh you're a purple belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu as well and maybe you're maybe you're more than that were you purple belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu uh yeah 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 and i didn't and i haven't and i haven't necessarily like gotten any further in jiu-jitsu it's right it's always tough it's always tough to me to put the robe on and everything going there like i'd rather but what what have you learned on a wrestling mat on a jiu-jitsu mat cage fighting that you can actually carry over to being a realtor, that you can carry over to real life. What what skills do you learn that that translate very well? Well, I I talk about this a lot, and I think it, uh, the biggest thing that we learn um, is solving problems. Um, and I feel like I'm good at that. Like like if uh, I I don't just brashly jump into something and, and throw an answer out there. Oh, they were doing this. Like 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 there there's there comes a time where you have to. To, uh, to have a sense of urgency on things, but you know, I've been able to do it. I guess with, with solve problems with a sense of urgency. You know, if that makes any sense. Like you've, so I, I've gotten good at, at solving problems, and 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 you know, something pops up, and I can kind of go through and, and see the outcome several different ways, and then hopefully choose the right way um, and, and to solve that problem. And I feel like that's what wrestlers are good at. That's what fighters are good at, um, because you're in a cage and you're. You don't know what's going to be thrown at you. You can be 100% healthy and you have a guy that comes out there and pulls guard. Or you have a guy that comes out here and does a certain thing or, or, or lands one good shot or you break your hand in a fight. Um, and I've always I, I talk about fighting because I'm amazed with fighters what, what they have to overcome to still get a victory. You know, wrestling, you break your hand in a match. A lot of times they stop the match. You know, you're, you're – you're, you cut if you get a good cut, a split, like you're probably stopping the match. In a fight, like you get a good split, you're, you're continuing to fight. You got to figure that out. Get the blood out of your eyes and continue to fight. Ryan Bader broke his hand down in Australia in the first round against the guy, and uh, had to finish the fight. Went three rounds and couldn't finish the guy because he, he had no hand. He couldn't hold him. He couldn't punch it. So, but he still got the victory. And that's just you know that's problem solving. And it's and it's most. Uh, where do you get that adrenaline? How do you replace? You've been an athlete most of your life, a high-level athlete. How do, a professional athlete? How do you? Where do you find that adrenaline rush these days, or do you just not crave it anymore? How do you replace the high of Burt Watson backstage? It's time we we rolling, we rolling. How do you? You know that battle cry that he has that says, "Hey, it's on now." You're you're five minutes away from Buffer announcing your name, and it's on, and it's real, and it's the unknown. As much as you prepared, it's the you're walking into the greatest unknown in all of sports. And how do you replace that that the thrill of of athletic competition? How do you replace it? What are you doing these days? How are you adapting to that? You don't replace that. First off, the answer to that is there's no way you can ever. And unless you can get back 
in that locker room and have Bert say, it's time, it's time to roll. And there's just no replacing it. Like I can't, I wish I could, I wish I could get back to that feeling. Um, so I've, yeah, I've yet to be able to do that. Um, my body's, my body is, is pretty beat up. Like I probably point to 10 things that, that like I've got a neck that is constantly numb over here that I'm going to need neck surgery. My elbows are jacked. They don't straighten. My knees are bad. My low back's bad. Like I've got injuries, you know, um, shoulders are bad. So, but I'm able to still wrestle and, and, and kind of give back that way. You know, like I said, I'll still help fighters. I'll still help people train. Um, if they need me, but I, and I don't necessarily crave that anymore. At 46 years old, I, I, I feel like I've, I've done, I've done as much as I can in that regard. Um, now that I have kids, so I, you know, want to see them. I want to be here for them and be able to let them, you know, reach for the stars and, and, uh, and help them out whenever they, whenever they want, you know, and I, I can talk about my experiences and what I've learned and what I, you know, could change if I could or whatever, but yeah. I, but so, but so Aaron, that, that that pivot, that shift in identity, where you go from the competitive pro athlete to the coach to the realtor. You've always been the father. You've always been the husband. We're going to talk about that. But that psychological shift. What is that conversation like, though? That happens when you when you know when you have to say, "I think I've gone as far as I can go with this because my body." What is that? How do you? get to that sense of peace like what's the inner monologue that gets you to the place where you are now where it's like hey you know i'm i'm going to be selfless it's all about coaching it's all about my family it's all about this what shift because that's 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 not just an inner monologue shift but that's also an identity shift because that there is an there is some identity shift that happens there Oh, yeah. Take us through, I guess, how that process worked, and was there any struggle with it? Was there ever tension with it? How did you come to that shift and make peace with it? Well, um, I've had, yeah, I've had practice, and I, and I, it's not easy, you know. My my wife's a mental health therapist, so you know she talks about she talks about all the time, and 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 we've talked about you know what I've gone through and different things. Um, it started, I think in college and as an athlete, as a college, collegiate athlete, the day that you compete in your last event, whether it's the NCAAs or whatever, the next day comes and then you're no longer part of the team. And I remember having that, like having that thought, like I walked into the team meeting at Arizona state university and I was no longer on the team. I was a senior badass one day. And the very next day I was what are you doing here? Like I went to the team meeting and I was, and I felt like an outcast and that was a shift. Like, Holy shit, what do I do with myself now? And then luckily I got put on staff and then I was a coach like shortly after I was on, I was back on the team, you know? And then I was able to carry that on for 10 years. Um, and then I had another shift where I, I, I was let go at Arizona state university and going, what do I do with my life now? Um, Ryan Bader and CB and Kane are training over at this gym. Oh God, I'll go, I'll go do that a little bit and, and try to figure it out. You know, I've got, uh, I've got, I've got to think, figure some things out though. And then I start training. And then next thing, you know, like two months later, I'm fighting down in the Cayman islands and, and still going like, what am I doing with my life? Um, I was, I, I just finished my master's degree. So I had a master's degree in higher education. I, I was going to stay in collegiate athletics and now I'm out. Now I'm a, I'm fighting some some guy for a thousand dollars and 
in the Cayman Islands. And then I, <laughs> that, that took off a little bit. Next, you know, I'm fighting in the UFC. And so that's my identity. And then that's over. Like the UFC's over. And now what's my identity? And it's like, God, what do I do? Well, you've got a gym, so you're going to go help fighters now. And, but you're no longer like that was meant. I struggled. I struggled with that. I've always been a, a, a high-level athlete where I was competing and training and something to do at 3.30. Now I'm coaching, and, and I can do that. And then that got got old and tiresome, and, we, and and I needed to get away from that, and I got into real estate. And that was a cultural shift and, and an identity shift. And, like, I'm, I'm no longer hanging out with fighters. I'm helping, you know, these two people find a house or sell a house. And, man, it's – but I've had practice, and I've had to do it over and over again, and I've – talked to my wife about it and, and had friends there at times to, to talk to, but it hasn't been easy. You know, I mean, it, it, anybody who says something like that is easy as, is, uh, I think they're lying because, because it's tough, you know, and you, and you see guys like Michael Phelps dealing with what he's dealing. You got to think like that guy did everything in the Olympics and there comes a day where Michael Phelps isn't needed. He's not training for a gold medal. And now, and he's, he talks about yeah, we suffered from depression and 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 all the uh, the therapy he's needed. And I think I think he's still suffering, and I think a lot of athletes go through that. You know, Jay Glazer, um, a buddy of mine out there in LA, and you see him on Fox Sports NFL. And Jay's done talks about mental health and mental health therapy, um, and what he has done, I think, is unbelievable. But he's merged and he's got MVP. Do you know about what Jay's group is? Merging vets and players. Yep. So he's taken he's taken former athletes, professional athletes, um, football players, and merging them together in these workouts with veterans that are coming that are that are trying to go like, holy shit, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have this team anymore. I'm not overseas. I'm not or doing what something for my country. They're lost, you know, and, and the, the suicide rates through the, through the roof, and 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 he's saving lives um, because of that MVP uh, MVP program, and like I, I can't say enough about how amazing that is what Jay's done um, by bringing athletes and veterans together to kind of draw from each other that, that are dealing with that. So um, I, I was never at that point, you know, I've never suicidal during that, but I was down and there are times I was pretty down um, and I can relate to a little bit to, to that feeling, I guess. Yeah. Fun fact here. Noah Green, my, my right-hand man is a, is a former Marine too. And actually pretty good shot from what i hear he's a pretty good he's got a pretty good shot don't let the the the, the uh your marks the, in there the, the phd look fool you he keep this guy could could yeah this guy's a way better shot than i am at least um yeah so well thank, I thank you first of all yeah absolutely yeah. thank you i want to ask you about your why because noah and i were talking about this uh in the lead up to this interview um that you know, you're one of those guys like you, you know, you have a lot of people from Brazil and I have a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've trained with a lot of Brazilians. I've met a lot of the Brazilians through the UFC and a lot of people in Brazil, for example, there's no plan B for a lot of those fighters. Fighting is their way out or Jiu-Jitsu is their way out. And, and there's they don't have all the options that we've had here in the United States. You take a guy like you, it's like uh, a straight A student and all American both on the wrestling mat and academically, you could have had, you could have done anything you wanted. You could have went and worked for a you know major big business company. And instead you're fighting in a cage. What, what was driving you 
to take the riskier route instead of the hey, I was an All American, two time All American wrestler. I've 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 been had the Midas touch. Let's go make a lot of money. I got a beautiful wife. I got great kids. What made you take? And and again, and this is the thing, Aaron. I want to put this in perspective because for you to fight in the cage. 10, 12, 13 years ago was riskier than now because it wasn't like it was it was wilder. It was more maligned. It was less understood. It wasn't mainstream. It wasn't for the money. It was it was a stupider decision on paper 13, yep. 14 years ago. At least now somebody can justify it. It's on ESPN. There's a dangling carrot of a lot of money. You know, it's popular. Chicks can dig it, whatever. There's there's not a lot of that when Aaron Simpson's fighting in a cage. You could have taken the safer route, went for the money, went for a major company. What was the why that, that, that was driving you to be like, no, I want to fight in a cage against the best? I'm uh, not very smart, I guess. I, uh, you know, I, I – I always wanted to be a professional athlete, but I think deep down inside, like I knew I was a fighter and I felt like, like I needed to, to, to like, I always, I always say like any, it, I always thought there was a door open for me. I always at least like stuck my head through and looked through it and saw what it was all about, you know? And I, and I feel like, um, if I can pass it on to people, that's it. Like, don't just be like, oh no, I'm not going to do that. Or no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I, I, I want to check it out and see if it was, if it was something that, that interests me. And I just, and doors open and I had opportunities and, you know, like five fights in, I'm fighting in the UFC, which I don't think I told anybody that that's what I was doing until I actually was in the UFC. Um, it was kind of embarrassing up to that point. So I could say I was a professional athlete, but I, I don't know, something in me just still wanted to train at a high level. And I knew I was really good at like controlling another human being with, with my, with my skill set, whatever it need be. I'm like, man, I'm really good at this and I want to see it through. Um, I'm, I'm not a violent person. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't condone violence. Like I'm not a hunter. I don't kill animals. I'm not someone like that, but there's like still like that animal instinct in me that I've had since I was young, um, that I needed to see that all the way through, um, and, and get that out of me and see how, far go because i got it really in a weird way enjoyed it like i enjoyed getting you know punched and and punching someone and training at that high level and and being around a group of guys that, that had the same interests um and trying to attain a goal physically mentally and physically that that nobody else in the world could do like i was so i was drawn to that more than really anything and that's why i, I you know chose that route that was what is it what, what is it about someone like you? I mean, the, we're in a sport, the combat sport, where a lot of people would want to quit. I mean, there's people, there's a lot of people out there that if they were just to go to a normal wrestling practice, they would want to quit, like ring the bell, like 10, 15, 20 minutes in. Most people couldn't make it through a wrestling practice, let alone, you know, a high level tournament or fight in a cage. What is it? What is your conversation with the word quit? Because there's got to be moments where you're exhausted, the lactic acid's there, you're labored breathing in an, in an intense MMA practice or in an actual fight. What is it that makes you tell the quit to just shut up or that makes you push through when you're, when you're there in a gut check moment and you're digging deep and you're in pain and you're tired and you're fatigued? What's carrying you through that? 
I just love, I loved it. I love that feeling. I love that, that, that feeling of being exhausted. Um, and knowing that like, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the person I'm, I'm maybe going against or whatever. I don't know. I just, there was something, there's something about that, that physical exhaustion and mental fatigue and like just going balls to the wall that, that I, that I was drawn to. Like, I don't know anywhere else. You know, I, I'm, I'm dealing with these high school kids now and I'm training them hard and I get kind of physical with them and I hand fight with them and they, their eyes get big and I'm not, I'm not a jerk by any means, but like, I want these kind of nerdy kids to go like, it's okay to, to be able to, to lay hands on somebody if you have to, you know, to defend yourself or to, or it's like, I'm, I'm agreeing to this. You're agreeing to this. It's okay. Like I'm your coach. Club me back where I want you to do a club hard tie, blast that double leg and run me to my back. And I've got some things out of these kids that didn't know how to tie their shoes when they came into the wrestling room. You know, that, that now, like when they leave, they're like, God damn, that crazy bastard of a coach uh, that I wrestled for for three years. I'd never known before. They're going to have that for the rest of their lives. Um, they're going to do. And I tell them like every day in practice, I'm like, you guys are walking around this campus with people that are. That, that had never had to struggle. There are people on this campus, I, I come from the, the schools in an affluent area, um, and they've never had to struggle. They've never had to, to feel that pain that you guys are feeling right now. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I want them to draw from that. I want them to later on in life go like, holy shit, like coach, this is what coach was talking about. Like times are tough right now, and, and now it's time for me to push through because I know that I can do this which there are other kids, people never had to struggle. They've always had things handed to them and, you know, they get tired and they can take a break or they're thirsty and there's water in the fridge or they're hungry and there's food. Um, wrestling is that last thing that, that, that kids that are willing to step into a wrestling room, at least with me, to, to learn that. You know, like our grandparents always talk about or, you know, the, those generations of the hard work they had to struggle through. You know, they had to go out and milk cows all day and buck hay on the farm and, and do all kinds of work before they had to walk two miles to school. Um, things are easy these days for kids. And so I feel like it's my job for anyone that set, steps you know, in, through that door to, into the wrestling room that I'm going to push them and teach them ways that, like, our, our grandparents would be proud of them for, you know, our great-grandparents would be proud of them because they don't get that unless they join the military. Unless they do something, and then hopefully they're prepared um, if they're wrestlers, if they go into the military or something, because this life isn't easy, and some kids have it easy, and they don't, when it gets hard, they don't know what to do, and they quit, they turn to drugs, they turn to whatever else. Um, so I try to really bring that, and I guess I'm getting a little long-winded, but um, it's big for me, and, I, and that's, that, was, that was my my outlet, I guess. And like, I, I, both my parents together, I didn't struggle growing up. My, both my parents were teachers. Um, but I just, something about that sport and being like, being able to physically push myself and, 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 and beat somebody else in something physically. God, I just, I don't know. I can't describe it unless you know, you understand cause you go through it yourself. Tell tell Noah and I, um, about your, since we're talking this, you've had the chance, Arizona State's had Bobby Douglas, Kendall Cross, I believe, has run, you know, run a good, good program there, good wrestling programs there in Arizona. You mentioned Eric Larkin. You've had some, you know, phenomenal wrestlers, national champions. Bobby Douglas, you know, former coach is, you know, legend. So you've been around a lot of great minds. 
tell us maybe four or five pillars of your coaching philosophy. If you if 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 you're coaching a kid and they're only going to remember four or five things, you alluded you alluded to one of them, which is that mental toughness of helping them to dig deep and push through and to hopefully have that confidence carrying over later in life off the mat, something they go through and they draw that same power, they draw that same fighting spirit. What are four or five, though, of the pillars of your coaching philosophy? What do you, if you can only teach them four or five things, you're going to drill in them. You're my coach for three or four years. What are you going to drill into me? Well, uh, first of all, Kendall Cross, Russell, Oklahoma State, not even no. that really it is too. And I love great friend, great dude, but Sun Devils don't claim. Who, who, no, uh, you know who wants, you know, no, I know it's, what's it, it's Zach, uh, what's his name? It's with Zeke, a Z. Zeke Jones. Zeke Jones. Zeke Jones. I'm so sorry. I'm confusing Zeke Jones. Just to show my wrestling IQ. I'm confusing <laughs> Zeke Jones, who probably was a competitor of Kendall Cross. They probably were, yeah. were, were rivals. Yeah. And I'm yeah. confusing the two. I'm confusing yeah. Zeke Jones. Yeah, Zeke, Zeke is the head coach. Zeke's the head coach here now, actually. Yes. Yes. It is here. Um, no, I'm confusing Zeke. But, you know, I go back. Um, my dad was the one who taught me these, these pillars that I'll talk about. And this was, he was my wrestling coach and, and really probably a major reason why, like I'm the fighter that I, that I am and, and that it was instilled in me. But I think, um, what I, what I teach my kids is, is to kind of keep a poker face and not show that you're tired. That's a, that's a big one. I even spoke about it today at practice. Um, although these kids have to wrestle in masks, so it's kind of impossible to see how tired someone is. It's Everybody's insane. got a poker face now. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone has a poker. You don't even know how tired someone is. But um, um, you know, not letting someone know that you're tired, and, and, and faking yourself, talking yourself into it sometimes. Like, like I'm good. I'm I'm I'm, I'm fresh. I could be dog tired, but if I look over and see that guy with his hands on knees and his head down, and he's got a, a, a whiny look on his face. I should draw from that. And, and so, you know, that's a big one. Um, a sense of urgency, I think. And I, I spoke about that earlier, but, but, but being able to get shit done when it's time, you know, five seconds left, there's time on the clock, there's time to score. You know, you're down by a point, you got 10 seconds. How are you going to score to take this guy down to win? You're down, you know, 14 to zero. What, how you got to, you got to pin the guy. What are you going to do? And I've seen it happen. I had a kid, Pinned a kid uh, two years ago to qualify for the state tournament. He was down, I don't know, twelve to one, and he pulled a move out that we worked on all year, and he and he pinned the guy. Um, so like never giving the just having that sense of urgency and, and and knowing that they can always pull through with something. Um, wrestling wise, like hustling, hustling back to the center. You go out of bounds, you run back to the center. Um, not like slowly taking your time. That was always big to me, and I, that comes back to a sense of urgency, hustling, um, um, being being honest with yourself, uh, being like true to yourself, not lying, not cheating, not cutting corners. That's another big thing, you know. If we're if we've got uh, hundred push-ups, and I say, hey, everyone, do hundred push-ups. You better do hundred push-ups. Don't let go because coach can't count all your push-ups. Don't do seventy or fifty. Do hundred and twenty. You know, um, and that comes down to the discipline of it, too. Like I talked to my kids about discipline. My dad always explained, you know, if you play poker and you're you're, you're dealt five cards and you call it, you're doing uh, five, playing five card stud and you're in and those five cards, it's showing up to practice, eating healthy, um, getting extra lifts in, running in the morning and getting good grades. You know, that's your five cards. Well, what if in the meantime, um, 
you decide not to get get good sleep and you so you lose a card now you got four cards or you're, you're drinking alcohol or doing drugs now you got three cards well the guy that's got five cards is going to beat the guy that's got three cards and let's say that guy's got a, a fifth card he gets another card and that card is is he's uh waking up in the morning and he's getting a run to lift and he's going to get an extra drill in with somebody you know he's or practicing now he's got six cards so you're three cards he's going to win every time so you know that's that that I, I I tried. My dad told me that story, and it really made sense to me. That discipline and being able to kind of prioritize things um, that are going to help you reach your your next goal. So that you know those I kind of jumped around a lot there, but I think those things really help define someone's success, especially in wrestling. But God, just in life, you know, being able to be disciplined and, and have a sense of urgency and and having a poker face at times and having a, a plan. You know, those, those, those will, will get you get you a lot. Yeah, I want to – that's great stuff, um, Aaron. I'm glad I asked that question. Noah, I want to bounce it to you for a question or two because um, I know that you're sitting here. I know your wheels are turning. Um, what stands out to you so far in the conversation, Noah, and what do you want to uh, – you know, what what would you – you know, we got a chance to pick Aaron's brain. What, what stands out to you and, and what questions do you have? That, you know, your questions are really good at going into the meat of the matter and, and extracting a lot of the core things. So you, you, make, my, you make my job here a little hard to, uh, to, to do that. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, I think that um, when, when people talk about mental toughness, um, that can mean a lot of things. And, and I, I, I view that as mental toughness as being – um, high performance under high adversity. And, um, but you may have a different take on it. Um, how do you take someone, you know, um, off the couch, you know, you, and, and you take them to where they can, you, you build them up to, to that performance level of, of where, where they build up mental, mental toughness. Um, well, I think I deal with that with like these kids that come in here that they're gangly, like goofy looking kids that are that come into a wrestling room and basically off the couch. Um, and I have to instill something in them. And, and I think that like the mental toughness, there's probably degrees of it. You know, you have someone like Jordan Burroughs, who's an Olympic champ and one of the greatest wrestlers we've ever had um, in the United States. His level of mental toughness is is far and above everybody else in the world. You know, Stephen Neal one, one time told me, like, Stephen Neal was a world champ for us and played, played in the Super Bowl, uh, three Super Bowl championships for the Patriots. And he was like, mental toughness to him was nothing because he was this big specimen of a man and he didn't doubt anything. He never doubted himself and he just went for it. Whereas, you know, other kids, like, they're so their insecurities are out there. They don't look like how they want to look. They're overweight. They, you know, who knows what they was. It was instilled in them as a as a kid growing up, bullying or whatever. So there's there's a there's some play there with dealing with someone like that. Um, so I think it's like baby steps for them. Okay. And, I, and I'm really positive when I coach these kids. So you know, if they do something that resembles a wrestling stance, I tell them good job. You know, I'm like I, I don't I'm not. And I and I've had coaches in the past that were super negative, and I never understood that. You know, they just downbeat like just uh, uh, someone for doing something wrong. And whereas I'm like, well, he's kind of doing it right, so I can I can help him. Like at least it's a start. He's trying. Um, 
So I think there's like little baby steps on to mental toughness on getting them off. You know, you, you can't just turn up someone off the just stepping off the couch into a marathon or, or into a world champ or an iron man or whatever they've got to take those baby steps so it's those little little disciplines that maybe you can instill along the way with like encouragement along the way and positivity because we all like to be told we're good you know we all like to be told we're doing something good um i there's maybe a select few people that can can take the negative and switch it in their mind and and get better from negative stuff. Um, I could kind of like, I could have a coach that could be negative and I'm like, ah, screw him. I, I can do it. And then, and I could turn it into something positive for myself. Um, but I don't know that a lot of people can do that. You know, I, you can be negative. Some people, it just beats them down, down, down. They don't come back from that. So I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a real positive type coach. And I, and I believe that that's more advantageous than, than the negative. That's, um, you know, uh, Frank and I in earlier uh, podcasts, we've been doing this over a year now, and he's he's a, an, aficion, an aficionado of the negative approach. And well, I, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. But let me finish. Let me finish with the conditions of, you know, it, you know Frank, Frank's approach is a bit more, um, it's more, as you know, cutting remarks but that's for someone who's already got the momentum going and yes. frank i know you will um uh, you you will uh, adjust what i just said to to more of how you think but aaron i completely agree with you to go from zero or or going in reverse even to a, a you know a grown man you know to get him off the couch after netflix and covid um, you know, you gotta, okay, let's set a goal. And like, for me, I'll be honest, I have not been training at Henzo's for a while now. And so what have I worked on? My cooking skills. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I've set a small goal, uh, uh, that I don't even know if I can get that right now. It's just because of work circumstances of at least doing my first sprint, uh, triathlon at the slowest pace I can. Um, but that's just to rebuild my cardio. But I'm saying this because, you know, I've got to encourage myself. Yes, you can do this. You can. Yeah. Yeah. So, but Frank, go ahead and correct me on, or, you know, no, I mean, I take it from here. Take it from people here. Have to, people will have to listen, but, but, um, but I would say, um, so one thing I want in, in the interest of time, because Aaron, there's a lot. There's a lot of fertile ground to talk about. I mean, you got so much stuff. We got the plant-based vegan. We got. I mean, the 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 the. the I want to talk a little bit about ego. We all, but we have to talk about you and your wife. You know, you've got the twins. I think you've adopted a a, a third child. But your mom, your mother-in-law, with the artificial whatever insemination or whatever, however that is. But you. She talk about that. That's an amazing story where you've got twins and your mother-in-law was stepped up and was like, I will, you know, whatever, however, artificial insemination, I will carry the kids and I will, you know, they'll be born. And then they're, you know, you guys will all raise them together and, and, and tell us about that. Cause that's a very unique story. Before I go on to that, um, First of all, I'm really sarcastic, and so I understand the cutting part too. And there's there's 
certain people that you can go like, what the fuck are you doing? Get your ass off the couch and get in a gym workout. And there are other yeah. people that you got to kind of hold their hand. And I'm good both ways. But I'm also yeah. like, I use, um, like I'll guilt people. So I'll guilt my athletes. So I'm like, and, and, and Randall Allman, I'll tell you, like, and some of these guys, that when I was especially at ASU, like these guys could take it because they were there for a reason. They were there to win a national title. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, you, you don't have to do about 10 more sprints today. Just go home. Just because ten more sprints aren't going to help you, you know, or whatever it is. And I was so I'm 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 pretty good at the cutting part of it too. So I've got to you know, to, to to differentiate who can take it and who can't. And and hopefully you know I don't overcross that because sometimes I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll break a kid because I'll be sarcastic <laughs> and next thing he thinks I'm a complete a hole. But um, all right, on to the in vitro fertilization. I think you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. IVF. Yeah, we we struggled to have um, have kids. My wife did for four years, and it was a rough time. It's it's not even fun to talk about anymore because it's like we're past it, and we have twelve year olds now. But it's pretty amazing. Um, my mother in law did step up and say she would she would carry our kids if we wanted to, and we initially said no. We're not going to have you do fifty two years old. That's insane. Um, but she behind our back she checked herself out and she was she had been running she was a marathoner and was in phenomenal shape and so we implanted our embryos two embryos into into her um and they both took and nine months later we had a boy and girl twins and now they're 12 years old which is all crazy um my mother-in-law wrote a book about it which was strange for us at the time but it's kind of cool cool little historical thing that we have in our lives you know stories told that way um did you did you get national media out of that i mean i'm sure the national media was were they all yeah like yeah it was in the inquirer um my my wife and mother-in-law were on the joy behar show back then it was it was a uh it was a unique time and i was just getting into fighting i think i was maybe it had several fights i don't think i was in the ufc at the time um it was all strange. Like we were, we, my wife and I were on American Gladiators. That show came out in like 2008. Remember the original American Gladiators? So like that came out. We were on that, um, and not because the twins, just because they, we, we signed up for it and they got us on. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's it. You know, and now I have, I have, and kind of going back to the discipline thing. Um, so my son and I, uh, uh, for New Year's, I said, I just came up and go, hey, what if we did 30 push-ups a day, every day for 365 days? You want to do that? And he's like, yeah. And my son's a, a little stud athlete. Like he is, he's a, a high-level dancer. He's a national champ tap dancer um, at like age 10. Um, and so he competes and dance all the time, but he also plays baseball. He says he's going to wrestle next year. He, he's, he's, he's getting to play tackle football this year. He's just a little, a little stud athlete, but I put it out there. I'm like, you want to do 30 push-ups a day? I think cause 30, everyone can do 30 push-ups. I mean, throughout the day, if you do five, you know, every hour, you're going to get 30 in, in a day. So he's like, yeah. So he agreed to it. So we're holding each other accountable. We have our calendar all set out. We have little marks that we put on it. And so far we've got, you know, 30 pushups a day. And if we do more, we have a little place where we can add those to that day. Um, and the plan is to, to get it for the year. So it's a small goal that I said, you know, in a year we're going to have over 11,000 pushups if, cause we're doing more than 30 a day sometimes, but we at least have to hit 30. So it's a cool goal to have. It's cool for he and I to do together. Um, and we're keeping track and we're holding each other accountable on it. 
Now the question of nature versus nurture, I've, I've, I've loved that question and wrestled with that question over the years. You have twins, so you have, and of course there's been a lot of scientific study of twins in terms of how much is nature, how much is nurture, if you raise the twins apart. You have a front row seat, you can only speak to your experience. How much is nature and how much is nurture in the, in, in the development of humans? How does that, what's your, just your little front row seat to that? Well, everything I say is wrong because my wife is a therapist and she knows how to raise kids better than I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm quick to yell at them and, and want to like, God damn it, quit being disrespectful. And like the way I was raised, you know, I always yelled at and, and, and they're different. Like my kids are different. My son is really sensitive and, and he, um, he takes stuff to heart. He's a thinker. He's like a, he's, and so like he, it, it's, I, I've got to really teach myself to approach him differently than I do my daughter. My daughter's a little stud too. Like she plays on a flag football team. Um, she girls, she has a girls flag football team. She's uh, was a pitcher on a boys baseball team. She plays soccer. Like she's a little stud athlete and she handles things differently than she does. Like she can shrug stuff off. Like, yeah, all right, dad, I'll go. And whereas like if I yell at my son. So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, there's some 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 nurture, and then there's some, you know, we got we got to get after them a little bit too. You know, we're both pretty good disciplinarians, but we both want you know them to work hard and and do their best at things and not be lazy. And so, a lot of it is just what we uh, uh, how they see us react to things and how they see us live our lives. And hopefully, we're good role models too. I guess. Let's talk about ego because you've been. You know, you've been very successful at a lot of things. How do you manage to keep that ego in check and humility? How do you manage to balance that? What's What's been the key for you? Um, I've always, well, learned about being humble, I guess, from, from my dad as a, as, as a young kid. And I've always, like, never wanted, I always wanted the spotlight, but I never wanted to I talk about myself in the spotlight. I always wanted other people talking about me. I wanted to put the performance out there and then have other people talk about me. Like I, that was my ego. I got, and I, and I still at times like, you know, you, you always want that. You know, I'll be walking. Like I, it's been a little while, but my son and I were in Chicago and like walking down the street and this guy goes, Hey, Aaron Simpson. It was years after I'd been fighting. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm just, you know, real, thank you for recognizing me. And my son's looking like, Hey dad, how does this guy know you? How does he know you dad? And I'm like, I didn't want to say, you know, but I ended up telling him, but it was kind of a neat thing, you know, like someone knew me and then my son got to see that someone knew me. Um, but like, I think there's a fine line, you know, um, and I was never good like what Conor McGregor does. And I think maybe had I done more of that boastful, look at me, look at me, maybe I would have seen the UFC more. Maybe I would have, you know, been a, more of an exciting fighter. I just, mine was like, the way I raised was you work hard, you go out there, you fight hard, you get your hand raised, you run out, and then you get ready for the next one. Not like you walk out, you enjoy it all, you look at me, point at yourself, take pictures of yourself, send out, and then have reforms and talk shit on the other guy, um, demean them as much as possible. And then when it's all over, look at how awesome. And I and I got to tell you, we had a president that's no longer there that is was – that was him for a while. And I'm, I'm, I get in arguments with people, but when, when narcissism becomes a problem, um, and, and I don't know, I don't anger you guys off of that, but I, I, that's really hard for me to deal with people that are 
they'll, they'll look at me, look at me, because that's just not at all how I was raised. You like it, you like the attention, but you want other people to, to talk about you. You don't necessarily want to have to talk about yourself. I think there's insecurities when it's when it comes to that. If, if am, am I getting off subject at all? <laughs> Hopefully not. No, it, it, no, it's great. I want to talk with you now about the the vegan being a vegan, being plant based. You know, you're very. You're very, you watched the documentary that changed your life about animals and the cruelty to animals. Um, and you've been, you've been plant-based before, you know, it's become a little more cool. It's become a little more fashionable. There's a safer space for vegans and plant-based. You were doing it and you were plant-based when, at a time when it was considered almost insanity for an athlete. Like, oh, you know, you and Mac Danzig, it's like, wait. You're yeah. going to eat plant-based. You're going to get destroyed in an octagon, this this sport of alphas. Talk about that mind shift of how you went from being carnivore to plant-based and vegan and why that's important for you and your wife. Well, yeah. Um, I've always been an ant, like, like I felt like a weird spirit with animals, like a kid, like I, with my dogs or whatever, I just, cats, I just felt that way. And I didn't grow up on a farm or anything. Um, so I didn't, wasn't, I didn't understand like what I was eating at the time. I, I had, I think I known and that there's healthier ways to eat that, that didn't have to involve, you know, slaughtering an animal. I would have done it at an early age, like my kids are now, because we explained to them what happens to animals, the fear they that that they go through when they die, when they're that the inhumane uh, inhumane ways they're raised. Um, and I and like you said, I was in in one of the most alpha type sports and and MMA and masculine sports and fighting, and I. Uh, so I got a lot of crap for it. You know, I'm, I'm around these guys. Oh yeah. What do you get? Where do you get your protein? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and so I've had to, and I'm, and I can be confrontational. Like I don't have an issue with it. Um, speaking up or speaking out. I always feel like I'm talking on behalf of the, um, of, of the person being bullied or the, the animal being bullied or whatever. Like I, I, I hate bullies. I, I hate that that someone feels like they have, they're better than somebody else because uh, they have this position of power. Um, whereas like an animal has no position of power and a human does. And so like, I'm going to stick up for the animal. Um, if you're, if you're, you're, uh, downtrodden or you don't have your, your, you come from, you know, you're poor or whatever. Like I'm going to, I, I want to stick up for the, the person who doesn't have, you know, what others have, I guess. And that's just who I am. So when it comes to animals, it was, it's a no brainer. You know, it's been going on 11 years that I've you know not eaten meat um, and feel no need for it. And, and we'll never like, it's not like, Oh, people go, do you miss what chicken wings taste like? And I'm like, no, nah, not really. There are other versions. I can put hot sauce on other things that have that same feeling. And I feel better about myself and, and, and what I'm doing. Um, and it was never a health thing for me either. It was strictly like, like what I felt for animals. It, I know that's probably crazy to some people, but like I just, I, I don't believe that killing something is, is right. I don't know any way you can justify that unless it's strictly out of survival. Um, you know, if you, and people say like, well, what if you had to eat an animal to survive? Well, yeah, I, I don't live in that world though. Like I can drive right down to sprouts a mile away or I can walk or whatever. I've got a Safeway around the corner and I can, and I can buy plants and, and things that are going to, you know, 
keep me alive and, and keep me healthy so I don't live in that world where I have to go kill an animal. Because I, I would do it if I had to survive. But that's just not the What's, world. What, what, what is the last piece of meat you remember eating? Tell us about the last time you remember eating meat. Do you remember what it was and, and yeah. when you ate it? I, I, so I was, I, we were in Australia um, going down to corner Ryan Bader. He was fighting yeah, a guy hit him with a flying knee and then dropped him. Um, it was 11 years ago. 11 years ago, n- next month, I think. Um, and I was the, and, and chicken was the last thing to go for me. It was like a chicken breast in, in Australia. And I was just got done uh, reading that book, Eating Animals. Um, and it was, God, it was like tough. And so, and I, and I, and I laughed because like my, I was with Ryan, uh, with uh, Randall Allman and, and, and Dave Martin down there, we went down there to, to be with Bader during his fight and then corner him. And they, and I gave it up then I was sitting there eating and I, and I peeled this chicken breast apart and I saw like the shreds of the, the, the meat pull from it. And I just like, ah, I can't do it. I'm done. And I ate cheap margarita pizzas the entire time I was down there the week that I was down in Australia and they would, they always laugh and be like, oh, get a margarita pizza for this guy. It was just cheese pizza, you know? And uh, so I ate like probably 50 of those in the week that I was down there. And then I had to come back and really learn like what, what do I need to do to make up certain things that I'm lacking? Um, and that was it. So it was chicken. Chicken was the last thing to go for sure. What do you want? I mean, you're, you're still very young. You don't look 46. You look younger than it. What do you, what is a good legacy for you? I mean, you've done a lot of things. What would you want to be known for? It, let's even say you live another 40, 50 years. What is it that you'd like to be known for mainly? Um, that I was honest, you know, that, that I was, uh, that I was a, a good friend to people and that I stuck up for, for, I knew right, right over wrong, I guess. And I stuck up for, for the, uh, for, for the person or animal or whatever that, that need to be, stu- uh, stuck up for like i i I think that's the biggest thing um i guess being being truthful to to who i am and and living by a code in a way um and i try to a lot and sometimes you know yeah yeah you stray away from from that code but you know i got to know pat tillman back in the day a little bit um more so after he died, you start really learning about Pat. But like Pat and I would talk in the weight room at ASU and, you know, Pat lost his life for, for, for the country and for what we were going through. At least he thought he did at the time. You know, we find out some other things that happened to Pat over there um, and things that he was finding out on his own while he was over there. But, um, you know, Pat's one of those guys that we all look up to as Sun Devils. And it really is a country. Everyone should find out who Pat Tillman is and, and, and think about what that guy stood for. Um, and I think like living up to someone like that, and, and I think of his teammates and guys that I know, like Keith Poole, who was a wide receiver, and, and Jake Plummer, some of these guys, like they all try to live up to what Pat Pat stood for because Pat was like an honest, good, decent human being that fought for right over wrong. And uh, and that's you know kind of what I want to be and, and what I would want my my legacy or memory to be, that I was you know a good person that, that – that, that stood up for, you know, right over wrong. What is the, um, do you, have you ever met Michael Phelps? I believe lives there in Arizona, him and his wife and his family. Have you ever met him down there? Never have, you know, he coached at ASU after I left. 
Um, I think he coached a year at ASU. I think he lives in Scottsdale, but he may have moved. Like, I'm not sure if he lives in, 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 in Arizona anymore. Um, okay. So, no, I've never, never met, met him. What's a story or, or stories in, the re- in wrestling or from your MMA career that you're proud of a story that kind of illustrates who you are, or it could be funny. What's a story that stands out. That's like, this is, this is one of the things that just stands out in, in all the time I've been on the mat or in a cage. What stories stand out? Um, God, I don't know. I, I, I you, you put me on a spot here with this and that's well, what, 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 what's, the, what's the most adversity. Give me a story about adversity. What's the most adversity you faced in your MMA career? What was the most, adverse moment and 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 what did you do how did well, you get through that you know i, I fought tom lawler in my in my third fight um and i didn't know what the hell i was doing fighting it you know at all i don't think i knew what i was doing until i was done fighting and then i was trained with the guys kind of sparring and now i'm older i'm out of it and now i'm like oh man this is what i should have done like you kind of learn things later i didn't i got late like ryan bader now is it is it the best he's ever been it took him a long time you know i even when, when I was fighting and Ryan was fighting, he wasn't that good of a fighter. He was a stud. He was a badass. But he still had some things to learn mentally, um, mechanically, technically, like things that he's now doing. And, and he's so confident in how, his, how he is. That, like he's hard, To me, he's like one of the best people, one fighters in the world right now. But it took a long time. Whereas some guys, man, they get it quickly. You know, they're the best, they're, they're the best in the world. And they believe it. And they're so... Um, but when I fought Tom Lawler, I think that, you know, I, I, he, he beat me up pretty good in the first round and then, and like my head was snapping back and, and I had to, I, I kind of had to, to, to nut up and really take care of business. And, 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 and that was, a, it was a war, you know, um, could have gone either way. Like I, I got my hand raised, but you know, he could have got his hand raised and, and it would have been, it would, I'd have been, you know, as equally fine with it. Like it was just a, a, a battle. If you ever could go back and watch that fight, like we, we fought, the, we, we fought. Um, and I had to really stand, step up and I beat him in the wrestling, which I knew I could. Um, he outstruck me in the first round pretty good. That was like, my back was against the wall type fight. Um, I had one with Mark Munoz that he ended up winning, but I out wrestled him in the fight. Um, he outstruck me. So that was all, those are all kind of big deals. Um, I've had a lot of adversity with injuries and stuff and having to want to step up and fight just to provide for my family at times. Um, when I probably shouldn't have stepped in the cage, you know, it was maybe too soon after an injury or something, but that's, it is what it is. Like it, I just talk everything up to learning experiences and things that I got to do. Um, and I can hopefully continue to get to do stuff like, you know, just out of knowing what I know, like I got to travel with Demi Lovato and, and train her on the road on a tour a couple of years ago because of Jay Glazer. Um, Jay called me up. And so I went and went on tour with her for like three weeks on her bus and trained her at the hotels. And then she called, they called me up and asked to go to, to, uh, to Bali because she wanted to go down there and, and work on an album. So I, I flew to Bali for 11 days and, and got to enjoy the island there just because of, you know, being good to people, I think, and training hard and whatever. Like I got that in my life. Like I've got to do a lot of cool things just because I said yes to a lot of things. And, and I, yeah, I think she, I think she trains jujitsu, right? She trains, she trains jujitsu. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jujitsu and MMA and everything. Like she Glazer was a big part of that. He trained, he trained her at his gym, unbreakable there in Hollywood. Yeah. All that. 
Um, did she pick your brain about the plant-based stuff? Does she eat a lot, of, a lot of that too? I mean, a lot of the Hollywood crowd eats that. Was she picking your brain about that? Uh, no, no, she didn't. Um, she brought it up, you know, and I said, yeah, I don't eat meat. She goes, oh, you know, I tried that one time. And she's like, I, uh, she's a young kid to me. Like I, it's funny how immature and like, you know, she was probably 25 at the time. And I had a 25 year old daughter at the time. Like my daughter that we, we adopted when she was, um, 12, Love Demi Lovato. So when I texted her, texted Claire, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go train Demi Lovato. She was like blown away by it um, and, and loved her. And, you know, Demi had a lot of issues. Um, my daughter, that she was we adopted her, but before before we adopted her, she had a lot of issues and things that, that happened to her in her life that now she's 27 years old and has really turned the corner and back in college and figured her life out. And I and I looked in Demi. I'm like, man, you've got some got some issues and things you got to deal with. And and she OD'd. You know, um, Demi had issues after I trained her. She she's she's still trying to figure her life out. So it was more than just being plant based. You know, she's she's got a whole thing she's got to figure out. Yeah, it's probably hell. very tough. Very tough. And and having all of that, you know, there's a lot that comes with the, with the lifestyle of of rich and famous. There's a lot of yep. pressure. Um, yeah. Do you the the medals you you've got you've got a probably a crazy amount of medals and honors and awards. Where do you keep them and are they in a prominent place? Do you do you look at them? Are they tucked away? I'm always interested to see where other athletes put all the medals and awards and how you know are they prominently displayed? Are they Matt Matt Hughes had like some of his UFC belts were under his bed. Some were loaned out to friends. Like one, he didn't know where it was. Like what's your relationship like with those medals and those trophies? And, and, you know, you put them out or you just kind of tuck them away somewhere. Yeah, no, they're they're We have a basement here. And so they're down in one room, in the basement, just like kind of all stacked up together, laying against the wall. And I'm like, I should probably put those up somewhere. Like put them out in the office. And, but it, I don't know. I, I some kind of feel like it's weird. Like, yeah, I did it. And it's really cool. But like, I don't know. Like I, I, like you want your kids to be proud of you. I'm like, Oh, I look, I did this, but I really want them to have a place. I'm going to put their stuff up, you know? And, and so I don't know that I, that I, like I have a couple of awards that I like my all American plaques at ASU. Um, I was an outstanding wrestler at this national duels. It was kind of a cool award, but they're just kind of sitting down like up against the wall on the floor in, in, in one of the rooms in the basement. And, I don't know. Maybe I should put them up. Like I have my, my master's degree and my, my undergrad degree, like that's up on the wall in my office and, and that's really it. Um, yeah. Metals. Those are all in a box somewhere. I think at my mom's house, my parents' house. Yeah. Noah, you've been listening. We're, we're winding down now. Um, what do you have for my man, Aaron Simpson? Why you, why you got him? What's on your mind, buddy? Uh, just one thing. Um, Aaron, uh, where you are today, where you're standing at today, how do you do your own goal setting for your life? Ooh, good question. Um, man, that's, that's been, that's been tough. Like mm -hmm. everything changes. And now that I don't necessarily have a, Hey, have like a final goal, like, ah, like I've always had something to train for, you know, you always have like that, that next yeah. date, that next date. Um, so I haven't had that last several years. Um, now it's kind of like, you know, I've, I've just got to 
get clients that want to buy homes or sell their homes. So I'm kind of working towards that, but I don't put a, I don't put a, a, a financial goal out there. Like some people do, like I want to make half a million dollars next year. Or I'm going to sell this many homes. Like I, I just kind of, I approach it and, I, and I've been somewhat fortunate that like, I haven't had to market myself. I don't get on Instagram, tell, talk about that. I'm a realtor and, and I, and I probably should do that. I'd probably be making a lot more money and, and maybe someday I will, but I just haven't had to do that. Um, so I don't, I don't know, like for me, it's more about my kids and, and, and little goals, like, like, like parenting goals and, 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 and approaching things differently and, and learning, you know, more about reacting this way as opposed to that way. And when my son does this or my daughter does this and how do we discipline them this or that way? It's, it's weird how things shift for you um, when it's not, not about you anymore. You know, like it's always about me for 38, 39 years. And now that's not about me, I just have to uh, kind of adjust my goals towards my family and my kids. But I, there's also a place for you to show, yes, yes to show <laughs> them that, yeah, there has to be. Because in order for them to understand, you you know, in the Marine Corps, we learn lead by example. So I would, I would my, my takeaway would be, you know, um, how you set your goals to, you know, whatever those particulars are to demonstrate goal setting and achievement and sacrifice. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, it, it, it's about being a, a good role model for my kids more than anything and having some, something for them to look up to. So like just with, with the way we eat and, and the health and, and mm -hmm. how we, how we talk and like what we're, what we are okay with our kids, the way they talk. Like we're not so hard on, like if like, like I, I cuss and like, I don't, I don't freak out all the time and my kids aren't out there cussing or anything, at least not around us. Um, and so like we, we live our lives with a certain amount of um, leniency, I guess, but also discipline too. Like my wife's, she runs all the time. She works out her time. She's, she does chant like yoga challenges and meditation challenges. Um, and I'm, and I'm still training. I'll still work out and I'll still go to the gym and, and sometimes I'll bring my kids with me or, um, I think it's more just how they see me live my life and, and the disciplines that I have that are like, just like, not necessarily that I've written down or whatever, but just, you know, lifestyle, lifestyle things that, that they know how I, uh, how I react to life. Like they'll see me out in the, out in my garage working out or hitting the bag. And my Dang. wife will come, my daughter will come out and, and laugh at me hitting a heavy bag. Cause it probably does look goofy or whatever, or, or working out or lifting. But they work out too. Like my kids are, they'd rather play and, and, and train. Like my wife, my daughter goes to a conditioning class for soccer. And uh, when it's done, she wants to play more. She wants to grab a football and throw, ca nah. throw passes. And, and that's just how my kids are. Like they're, they're constant energy because I think they're, that's who my wife and I are. One, I, one more quick question. Um, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, one more quick I'm question. 5% battery on my phone. Oh, okay. Uh, this will be very quick. What are your thoughts of Lance Armstrong? Um, um, have you ever met him? And what do you think about his legacy? Uh, just out, out, of, out of, this is out of left field, but, you know, you, you, you brought up a few names. I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah. Lance Armstrong never met him. Um, okay. That's what I want to know. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, the only thing I know about Lance is that he did what 
everyone else I believe was doing at the time to, to, to be the best of the world. And, and I, I think he was just better at it than anybody else. Mm. Um, I don't know that it was obviously it was illegal and not the right thing to do. Um, but from what I understand in the cycling world, like he was the only one doping. Yeah. Um, if, if, 20 guys are all doping and they're all, all doing it. And then you're just the best one at doping. Like, I don't know, like, like you're all equal in that regard, but then you're a better cyclist at it. I don't like, I don't know. I don't know how to think, but I think he's really tarnished for that. Like, I think like the baseball players, Barry Bonds and those guys um, obviously tarnished it, but all the dudes were doing it in, in baseball. Those guys were all doping. They were all jacked. I mean, look, some of the picture of those guys are insane. Um, but when it comes down to money, and and providing and like i don't know the things it's hard to really judge someone like that um and you look at like George, like like the russians man iphone has two percent okay well thank but, you for sorry thank you yeah thank you for uh for that um frank 1%. yeah aaron thank you so much uh, next time we have you on we'll have you on again i want to pick your brain about who you love to watch out there fighters but so grateful to have you aaron um we will we would love to have you on again, and I hope you have a great rest of the night, my friend. Yeah, guys, thank you. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I'm stepping here. I'm going to charge my phone. But, um, yeah, in, anytime. You got my number, so uh, I enjoyed this. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Good luck. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Aaron. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. You too. Happy New Year. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye, buddy. Bye, Bye, Noah. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.